1: helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. My guest today is a very bright light and a brilliant example of doing the work to lead himself and create opportunities for a meaningful career and life path. Here's a terrific chance for listeners to learn and to reflect on where you're at and what's ahead. I'm thrilled to introduce my good friend, Samir Munchi. Samir is currently a manager at EY Consulting in the wealth and asset management practice, also known as financial wellness. It's a hot topic. Lots of innovation going on. And I'll add a congratulation for your son's second birthday, too. Lots of goodness in the Munji household. Samir, thank you for making time to join me on the show.
2: Thank you, Molly. So excited to be here and so happy that you've launched the Say It Skillfully initiative. I think we're going on, what, 12 years now? And you've been that that mentor coach figure in in my life. And we can talk a little bit about how how we actually met and that story.
1: Yes, I appreciate you more than you can know. Um, I think it might be kind of Funny for folks, actually, because it, it started because your mother and I, her, and and Samira's mother is an incredible rock star professional and was at the World Bank for many years and um, all about large scale poverty alleviation, really helping people in rural developing country contexts find their way out. And you know, I was always in awe of her and. At some point, you came up <laughs> and, and we met.
2: That, that's right. And I think oh, so it was two, 2007. I had just graduated from the University of Maryland, barely. I took, took an extra year there. And, of course, I hadn't even started my job search. We're at the end of the summer. I'm living at home with my, my mother and she was desperate for me to get a job like all parents would be, uh, hoping that I would find my career path the way that she did, the way that, that you did. And by a stroke of, of luck or, or maybe persuasion on, on my mom's part, she had us two connected. And I remember being a little intimidated to go to New York City and, and meet for a, a coffee with a real professional like yourself, Molly. I think we were right outside of Penn Plaza. But just from that first chat, and, and you probably sensed uh, just from looking me up and down, that I needed a little bit of gentle coaching and, and guidance. For me, I think it was a, a time in my life where I needed to hear certain advice, and I just wasn't in the right place to, to hear it from my parents directly. So thank you, Molly, for taking that initial chat with me.
1: So I thank you, and I, I think about our early days, and I have. Um, I, so I'm just going we'll to do a little embarrassment of Samir right here. So um, you can, you know, he's. You could tell he, you're like is a good kid. And I said this is a good kid. His his mom is amazing, so he has to be a good kid. And so we're sitting there, and I remember, um, you know, you were you were fine, but I noticed really the the thing I noticed was the two diamond stud earrings. I was like, wow, he works <laughs> at a services firm and he's got these earrings. And, of course, I think that's it's fabulous. I think people should be able to whatever they want to wear. But I'm thinking to myself, I'm not sure that that's flying at the firm. And and I would just say that kind of a flashback for me, Samir, and let me just go on record as saying I've learned more from you, right, than you've ever been from me. And So it's really been a gift that's kept on giving. Um, but I, um, my first say it skillfully moment, I think, was, and I think I positioned it this way. You, know, you correct me if you heard it differently. It was something to the of, you know, I, I'm noticing, you know, the, the studs. And I think it's fantastic. I think we should be able to express ourselves and really dress in anything, any way we would like to. I said, you know, the thing is, I don't know the firm. I'm thinking they're probably a little more conservative. And, you know, Samir, I would, I would hate for someone to make a judgment about you that might hold you back. That really was something um, that I wouldn't say is necessarily fair, but could really happen. And I think that's all I said.
2: Um, and looking back again, understanding where I was mentally, you said that in a very skillfully way. In a very skillful way, that uh, didn't feel like an attack. It, it, it felt like you had my best best interest in mind. So just amazing that we're sitting here twelve years later. And you've launched this this initiative, but really, you, you've been doing this your whole career and probably your whole life.
1: <laughs> I appreciate you for that. Give me a little bit, giving me a little bit too much credit. So let's talk. I mean, this is a big career development thing. I'm you and I have reconnected. You know, in, been in contact over the years. I'm grateful for you sharing a little bit about the story. And as people know, it's the struggles. Up to to fulfill your potential, you've gotta and to say it's skillfully, you've gotta be able to be who you really are. And I feel privileged to have been on part of that journey with you. So share a bit, you know, from our meeting, perhaps some of the epiphanies, the way you thought about your work differently, where you took initiative, and then look at where you've gotten now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So some might refer to me as a, a late bloomer. I think that would be a, a very nice way of putting it. I think back in, in college, for whatever reason, I, I just had different priorities, and looking back a bit of a, a fixed mindset, and happy to talk a little bit more about you know, the fixed versus growth mindset mentality, I think the Samir that you met 12 years ago with the diamond studs and whatever outfit, uh, it was a little bit of that fixed, you know, I am what I am, take me or leave me world. And it, it probably came across and, and was probably a part of the reason that I struggled a bit to, to find a job or even find motivation for a job. And I ended up in sales because that's a, an industry where you don't have to have a 4.0 GPA and amazing credentials. You can get in with a, a low base salary and, and prove your worth. And that experience for a couple of years uh, the research firm, corporate executive board, and and then Moody's, I think, taught me a lot about myself, and frankly, brought a lot of feelings of I don't want to say regret, but a little bit of remorse for not trying a little harder early on. And it, it's very easy in your low to mid twenties to. Take a look around at your peers and realize, hey, everyone's a little is on a track now, and, and sort of people are moving forward. I have no idea where I'm going because I was so siloed and focused in on just the college experience. I didn't, I didn't want to think ahead a couple of years. And we can get into as much detail as you'd like uh, of of some of those pain points and and how slowly but surely over overcame each one step at a time, but eventually found myself at Bank of America Merrill Lynch just after the merger, spent four years there, learned a ton about financial services, about myself, decided I wanna I want to do something a little bit bigger, so I went back to business school at, at Cornell and ended up at EY Consulting, where I've now been for the last five years.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I have the biggest smile on my face because I think 12 years ago, if we had projected any amount of this, we would have been like, yeah, right. So first off, I do <laughs> want to just acknowledge the the value of sales for folks. I did some time in sales. I, nothing starts in a company until someone sells something. So for folks thinking about having a broad range of experiences to build upon, that's certainly a great right thing to do. You may not love it forever. Don't think of it as doing it forever. I do think it gives you one great experience in learning and also some credibility. And then, Samira, thanks for sharing a bit of, we'll use the word remorse, right? I mean, everything's fine now. And I think that I hope for listeners realizing, gosh, make new mistakes. Like, don't make the, the same mistakes that, that we've all made. You know, I, I'm, I'm struck. I remember when you were at the um, at Merrill, uh, kind of an attitude about the boss I think we had a few conversations about how the boss was so wrong. And then I think something happened and you flipped and you really started to take initiative. And you went around and actually created something about mentoring. So share a little bit about the 180 that you did. I felt like you were kind of resenting, you know, poo-pooing the environment. And then all of a sudden you seemed to magically embrace it.
2: Yeah, and I I think a part of the growth Process is realizing that there's not just one view of the world. Everyone has their own view and perspective, and everyone has blind spots. And then we think about sort of broader cultural norms, whether that's with a friend group in a professional setting. And I don't think I realized it at the time, but I've done a lot of reflecting, as you can imagine. And that was probably the initial friction, and we've all we've all been there, I think, in, in different environments or contexts. So, what I was doing, uh, poo-pooing the the leadership and uh, kind of complaining about what I didn't like, was the original approach. And eventually, again, maybe just by luck, or maybe by conversations with my mentor Molly. let me try it. Let me try something different. And let me see what, what happens. And if it, if I try something different and someone else is still unhappy, okay, that's one story, but let me, let me see what else I can do. And let me go above and beyond. And again, fixed mindset sort of always, uh, it, (laughs) it still surprises me that I, my whole kind of Strategic play in life was let me do the least possible uh, and get the highest return, which you know, maybe that is an idealistic um, frame of mind. And maybe that is how, you know, if you're running a business, if you can do if you can expend less energy or less time costs and, and receive outsized return, that's that's ideal. But for me, it wasn't working right. I wasn't getting the return. So I started over overachieving and over-delivering and doing things faster and better than expected. And that started to open up a few doors of opportunities as projects emerged. They, they need people. You start receiving stretch goals. You get involved in the community. And I'd, uh, luckily, luckily, um, luckily through the work that you and my mother have done at the, at the World Bank, started to ask more specific questions especially to my mom who had been in uh, at the World Bank and in international development for 20 25 years had been traveling three or four months a year for most of my life i never really sat down to understand what is it that you're doing out there had a few of those deep dive conversations and thought wow that's that's amazing you're you're spending your time helping people that's why you're so passionate about the work and then got involved in a few nonprofits in in new york city i mentor one of them, and the Network for Teaching Entrepreneurship. There are dozens of amazing, amazing nonprofit opportunities to help underserved youth in the city.
1: Yeah. It's, um, it's just amazing. I felt like that we hit this button. <laughs> then it was like, make up for lost time. And then I, you know, I, I we kept in touch. And then the business school, so Hatalka talked to us about you know cuz that's not certainly something anyone has to do um share a little bit about what prompted that what that process was like
2: yeah so again i felt like i was behind and i had a lot of remorse and i'll be i'll be totally candid there were years of of my life in my 20s where i was doing sales where i realized ouch, you know, this, this hurts. It hurts that I didn't plan better. I know I should have done things a little bit differently. And uh, I'm not kidding, Molly. I used to coach myself sometimes just walking to the subway and, okay, you can get through this, you can get through this, you can do this. And, and after some time that, that uh, frustration was sort of building up inside of me and I knew I needed to, to get myself on a track or a path that I would – be proud of when I when I looked back and I, I did my absolute best at, at Bank of America a, c- a couple of years in and I was a in a leadership development program was was a high performer and started having conversations about okay what else can I do I'm 24 25 it's a huge organization I've just been doing sort of one little sliver uh, of work here and the response I got uh, great great people the response I got was, you know, what, what do you mean? You just keep doing what you're doing. And you know, 30 years later, you could you could be in my shoes, which was a little scary at the, at the time. So I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew that I didn't try hard in college. And, and I won't mention my GPA here, but it was a lot worse than you would guess. So I knew it was an uphill battle, but I wanted to prove to myself that I could go to a – to get into a business school. and And that process ended up being – a lot harder. I don't know if I knew what I was signing myself up for that I would have continued on the track. You have to take the GMATs. Uh, I studied for six months. I got a score that was just below what I thought I needed, so then I had to study another couple of months. Uh, that that was a little bit of a, a setback. had to you know, let myself cry a little bit, if you will, uh, but then just get back on the road. The whole application process, getting customized recommendations for for each school with different questions, having to write these essays and tell your story, talk about your professional achievements, your community achievements. And after the first year of applying to five business schools, I got into exactly (laughs) zero of them. So I felt like I was back to square one after a couple of years. And that time I actually did. (laughs) I don't know how many listeners you have, but I I, I remember actually kind of, taking a tearful little nap and, and thinking, that's it, I'm doomed, you know, I've, I'm a failure. And there's nothing else you can really do, Molly, as you know, besides just understand that it's just one, one failure and, and there's growth that comes out of every failure. And so maybe I gave myself a couple of weeks to just sulk and then I got back on the wagon and I just said, hey, I'm going to try a second year, and I'm going to try even harder. And, and luckily, Cornell Johnson accepted me that second year.
1: Bravo. I really appreciate your sharing the behind the scenes um, so often. And we've we've talked about it on the show a lot. You know, it's all these fabulous things and perfect things that we do on our CV. And that's just, you know, a tiny, tiny percentage of really life. I'm I'm hearing a lot of great, skillful conversation um, between Samir and Samir. So, will you, and we talked a little bit about this, will you say more about? Um, some epiphanies you've had about the, the conversations you were having within and how you really transformed those, um, I think, to be, you know, not your worst enemy and rather really one of your best friends.
2: Yeah. And there's a, there's a great book uh, that I, I read recently, maybe, maybe about a year ago that helped me to understand where I, uh, maybe where i was for the last 10 years and and even where i was in business school and and after business school when quote unquote more successful than than i the previous me uh, and and it's titled what to say when you're when you talk to yourself it's a very light read and, and frankly you only read, need to read a a couple of chapters but i was i had historically been but we can call them self-defeating thoughts. I had been engaging in sort of, I am not X. So I am not an expert in consulting or I don't belong in the business school crowd with these accomplished classmates that have already done much more than than I was planning to do after. And, And when you get to EY and you're surrounded by partners and client executives, right? Oh, wow. Those are, those people are the real deal. I am, I am not. And some of it's conscious. I think some of it's unconscious. But once I just read a couple of chapters of this book, it got me thinking and you start catching yourself with these thoughts. And I used to parade around even two, two or three years ago. I'm new to wealth management. I'm not an expert in wealth management, even though I was uh, completing and leading client engagements for, uh, senior wealth management executives at, at large firms that, that we were all familiar with. And just by doing that, you're unconsciously, or I was unconsciously, maybe turning down opportunities for me to actually become an expert. Because anytime things got a little complicated, or I heard the word uh, expert or advice or guidance, I went somewhere else instead of just doing the work and finding out the answers and thinking of myself as. Why can't, I be, why can't I be the expert? And so, so the big kind of epiphany for me, and, and I know, Molly, we just caught up on this really over the last year, is no one really knows exactly what they're doing, exactly what life is all about, has all of the answers always. Now, I'll caveat that that doesn't mean that you know, people don't know anything, but I, I don't need to put everyone else on a pedestal. I just need to worry about me, but think about my goals, and think about how I can get there.
1: That is so beautiful. I love, I love, I love it. What is the name of the book? I can imagine some folks might be interested to check it out.
2: It is called What to Say When You Talk to
3: Yourself.
1: Uh. Great title of a book. Okay, so that's something a resource that might help folks. Uh, let's. We could. I, I'd like to give a little um, time for you to talk about your work because I do think it's such an important topic at all ages, and there's a lot of innovation. So, a few thoughts about the space you're practicing, what you're seeing, um, and you know, I think if we have some folks who are earlier in career, would also welcome any thoughts you'd like to or advice you'd like to impart. Um, for those coming up the ranks behind you?
2: Sure things. So again, I do wealth management consulting, so our clients are are big broker-dealers, wirehouses, advisory firms, pretty much any of the big institutions anyone has heard of. I focus on wealth management, but really at, at today's day and age, it's broadly consumer financial services. There's, there's kind of a convergence between wealth management with uh, retail banking, so where you do your checking savings, credit cards, mortgages, et cetera, and, and then insurance. And that's what's been so exciting for me for the last five years of working in this space, most likely because financial services really has just lagged all other innovation uh, in, in other industries especially from a a client experience perspective. So if you think about Molly, uh, what's the most innovative thing you'd seen in financial services prior to to maybe five or six years ago? I can't think of much. Maybe mobile check deposits was, was a huge deal. But these firms weren't investing at all in the experience because they had a bit of a monopoly. And that all changed Oh, about 10, 8 to 10 years ago w- with the emergence of, of FinTech or financial technology companies. I think a lot of people are familiar with a uh, mint.com personal capital, which, which does similar account aggregation link, all of your various financial services accounts and you get this holistic picture and you can get a, a sort of plan for how much should you save for an emergency versus for a home versus retirement. How do you think about paying down your loans? Uh, We saw firms like Betterment and Wealthfront that have automated financial advice. So they're democratizing access to sophisticated financial planning. You don't need to be a high net worth individual to get the same type of advice. Uh, Other firms like Robinhood and Acorns have made it super easy for anyone, even 18-year-olds to download an app and and get into investing very early on in a very simplified manner, and then our our online banks like Chime or Ally, SoFi, um, Rocket Mortgage have all forced incumbent financial services firms to start thinking about innovation and, and experience or risk losing their existing client base. So it's a super, super exciting place to be. For me, it's very relatable because we are all consumers of this industry, right? We all have to think about our finances. And usually a lot of us think of it as going to the doctor, unfortunately. So that's the work that I'm focused on. Financial wellness is a broad term to describe kind of everything I I just Discussed. And depending on what stage of life you're in, your family situation, your income, your assets and, and debt, everyone, uh, financial wellness can mean something different for everyone individually, but trying to bring access uh, to the right actions to take and behaviors to automate in order to feel financially well and not stressed or overburdened is where I'm focusing all of my time.
1: Yeah that's so fantastic. Personally, what would you say given that you 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 have an expertise now, right? Like it or not. What ha- how's that translated for you? I'm just curious and you know kind of in your own life uh with your family. What's your kind of big takeaway from what you've learned as a professional?
2: Specific to financial wellness or just, yeah, just to your
1: own, yeah. To your own approach to what I, I guess I might ask and you know, like, what have you kind of really internalized as um, maybe something that you wouldn't have had you not had all this depth of, of new knowledge?
2: Yeah. The, the thing that struck me maybe three or four years ago, I was working on a, a retirement planning project and I just had never and then maybe I can even pose this question to you, Molly, if that's okay. Sure, please. How much money do you need in retirement? How much money does Molly need in retirement?
1: So do I have a number? Uh, I have a number.
2: Number. you got a number? Excellent. Yeah, I have a you, don't number. Have to, you don't have to share the, the number. But I have two business degrees. I was working in uh, financial services consulting. And until I was on this project, I had never actually thought about what is that number for me? And that's what financial wellness and financial planning is is all about. and And traditionally, you only got that again, through a high net worth kind of private uh, private banker or financial advisor, and what these tools have allowed, us to do is now kind of plug and play and, and what if scenarios and what's the trade-off between you know, retiring five years earlier and having less of an income per year, but at least knowing you have a sound plan and being able to track your progress towards that goal. So for me, it's been everyone needs to use these tools, including uh, myself. And so we, we use them, Allison and I, uh, we use them. We we check our our net worth, and we check, you know, should we reduce our retirement contributions if we're looking to you know buy a house in the next year or two. That that's how uh, that's how it's impacted us.
1: That's so great, it's so great to be much more mindful than I was, coming up the ranks. I hope everyone is really taking notes on that. So uh, before we wrap, of course, Samir, I uh, would love to have um, any say it skillfully situation or tough conversation. Very rare, I'm sure that you're having these at work, Samir, but I, I imagine there might be one that I could potentially help you with
2: I would say it's not rare at all, Molly, and that's why <laughs> it's so great that you're you're doing these. There's not a certain point, right, I think, where people stop having this this issue. It just the the context might change a little bit. So for me, I would love to bring up the topic of managing up. And oftentimes I'm either in meetings or on a call or video calls with multiple senior partner or senior executive types where I'm one of the more junior folks on the call, right? Um, These These folks, they all have their opinion and they're super experienced. They're all bringing kind of a different flavor to the conversation. And everything is go, go, go in in my line of work. So we're usually prepping for some kind of presentation. And I'll be on a call with, let's say three of these folks. They're kind of undecided. They're not aligned. They've each said three different things and two of them directly conflict. We're getting to the end of the call, and the, the question I usually get is, all right, Samir, I think we, we covered off of everything off of the agenda. Do you have enough to uh, put this all into a presentation deck and, and send out a draft later today? And I want to be <laughs> – I want to say something like, are you kidding me? You guys just talked fluff for 30 minutes and disagreed. How could I possibly have <laughs> have enough? But I – Kind of awkwardly pause and then say something like, yeah, that, absolutely. We can take a stab at that. That sounds good. <laughs>
1: so any, advice? No, <laughs> any advice? I love it. I love this. I've seen this. I've probably done this. And I'm really grateful you brought this up. Okay, so so some questions for you. So, Samir, do you care about creating impact for the firm?
2: I do care, yes.
1: Do you want to do your best work? Always. How well can you do your best work when you're not sure what they're asking?
2: That's exactly
1: it. (laughs) So that's just for folks listening. That's the driver for change. You, my friend, right? And of course, I want you to do your best work and have the greatest impact too. So you and the firm have mutual win here. So to give yourself a bit of the driver, like, okay, it's, it's actually is your job. is part of your job to ask. Mm-hmm. So then I'm going to just going to ask you in the five seconds when you've got that, oh, do I ask or not? What's going on in your head?
3: I
2: think a little bit of anxiety that maybe I should know, you know, because they're all senior and they're saying, do you have enough? seems obvious the answer is no, but, uh, I don't know how to, I think either one, I missed it or two, I don't know how to respectfully say, no, I don't have enough.
1: Great. Great. So this is the deal. You're super smart and you don't have enough. And so if you misheard, that's totally okay too. So I just want you to know that going there is being part of the solution and and we're going to give you some choices of words. So I, so let me just role play a little bit. Um, I think the first thing would be to acknowledge the question. So, Frank, gosh, thanks so much for asking. Very easy, right? So, that's a positive mm-hmm. thanks for asking. Now, confidence, and you can even show a meta skill of sense of relief as if thought you'd never ask. You might have said, oh, thought you'd never ask. So, thank you. Little lightness, thanks so much <laughs> for asking. You can be a little cheeky. And I say that because when you add a little lightness within your own body, it, help, it helps de-stress and, and kind of be, feel a little less anxious. So, acknowledge. You know, I actually heard a few different directions and ideas. So that's kind of a, you're, there's no there's no declaring anyone is wrong. And then mm-hmm. you might just say, "Yeah, you know, Tom, I heard this. Kathy B, Randy C." Now, I and the whole team, of course, want to produce the best version one of the deck that we can. Would you please? Clarify X, restate Y, summarize Z. I call the subject verb, subject verb. And you're very light, right? Now, you can also do that without naming. You know, I heard we want to head this direction. I heard we want to head that direction. Really helpful. Clarify for me, please. Now, okay, we're not saying, gosh, you said Y, then you disagreed with her, and then you came up as a third. So we lose all that. Totally could be warranted. I get it, but you know you're taking the high road here, and I want to encourage a potential for lightness too, right? Because, and and if you missed it, oh, sorry, I may have missed that. I mean, we're on a phone call; you can miss a sentence or two, and you know, mm-hmm. you're still a superstar. So I'll pause. How does that land for you?
2: I love that. I was actually taking notes while <laughs> while you were speaking. the The levity thing is is something. I want to get better at because oftentimes as you can imagine on a call like this, I'm, I'm getting frustrated because I'm realizing how unproductive it is. And so by the time we get to that question directed to me, I'm frustrated more than anything and bringing some levity. (laughs) Thanks so much for asking. I, you know, I, I like that line a lot, Molly.
1: Awesome. That's awesome. I'm now I'm gonna give you give yourself permission halfway saying, hey, hey, quick thing, folks. I know we're twenty minutes in and I just in that last piece I heard so jump in and steer. Jump in and steer. Mm-hmm. They're paying you the big bucks to steer. So you're it's great practice. Uh, you can jump in with lightness as well. And you know, nobody wants to waste time and and they don't want to waste time either. They're everyone. When you're in it, you know. When I go on and on, you need someone to say, "Molly, net it out, honey." <laughs> okay, so you, <laughs> you're you are empower yourself to do that. Um, okay, in, in final wrap from our little conversation, Samir, what is your top takeaway? Oh, it's
2: gonna be a, a, a tough one, you know. I think through our conversation because it's, it's gotten me thinking about the last 12 years and as as anyone progresses in a career they, they end up having to focus more on the job on the work uh, and then if, you, if your family comes into play you're just stressed for time so we didn't actually cover this directly besides a quick uh, talking about volunteering early but one thing that that I just miss is is getting involved in the community. And I and the last few years, and you know, I've got the two-year-old, and the job has been crazy. But I think my top takeaway is I just need to keep finding ways to give back. I think what you're doing here on, on this program is, is just amazing. And I can feel the joy through the line. I know how much this excites you. It's reminding me of how much I get excited when, um, when I have an opportunity to help people. So my takeaway, uh, is to get back in there and to start helping people.
1: It's amazing. You're amazing. I am grateful for you in so many ways. Samir will be in touch. You know how to reach me. Um, have a, have a great week and um, most of all, thanks for being part of the solution. You take good care. Okay. So fun. I am Excited to uh, uh, announce, let's see, introduce Tay from Seattle. Tay, thanks for joining me on Say It Skillfully.
3: Hi, Molly. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on your show. Uh, Go ahead, my friend. What is your Say It Skillfully scenario? I really appreciated Samir's comments, and I wanted to build on that because you introduced me as being from Seattle, but you can hear from my accent that I'm not from Seattle, And when you look at me, I am ethnically ambiguous, part Asian, and I get a lot of uh, questions from people immediately upon meeting me, asking me where I'm from and bringing up race in the very first instance. And you mentioned, you know, diffusing the situation with humor. That's something that I've done a lot in the past, you know, making a joke about it. I'm from the Deep South because I'm Australian, when really the question is about race. And right now, I am not inclined to infuse humor in that response as much because of how painful uh, things are, the, the growth journey that we're all on. So I was hoping you could, um, you know, give me a better way to respond to those questions and perhaps help other, other people of uh, mixed race origin or foreigners
1: Yes, I appreciate you bringing this up. And I'm going to caveat that we're a little short on time. What I I want first and foremost for you, Tay, is to feel at one with yourself. And um, no one can make you feel a certain way um, unless you let them. And first and foremost is that you're an amazing soul as you are. And that's my number 1 2 and 3 thing. Someone asks you show compassion for them that you know they may not appreciate for you it's quite sensitive. Okay? And and it's not and we might say in this era, this particular time, we would hope that people are more heightened, but they may not be and and we can't control that. So have some compassion for them that they don't even realize that they're potentially making it difficult for you. You would never want to make it difficult for someone else, right? I know that. However, sometimes that's happened. Okay. So as a, you know, I think first is just in your own self, realizing this is just something for you to be in good relationship with yourself first and you control that and say, Oh, you know, I appreciate that question. And, um, I'm curious. And you just may ask something back. Um, it's, it's interesting that that's your first question of me. And say, you know, have you thought about why that is? And, and not in a snarky way, but just say, hey, because you might say, you know what, I wish I would have loved for you to ask X. And you're not trying to be, you know, snarky about it, but it is causing someone, and, and they may look at you and say, you know, I, I know you would never know this. For me, I'm a little sensitive. And so that question, actually, you know, I feel a little bit on the defensive. I know that's not you, but that's how it does land for me. So I'll just pause there.
3: Yeah, I, of course, self-love first. And I love my heritage. I love being mixed race, Chinese, Australian. And I would love to go on and on about it and talk about my family heritage, how proud I am and how much I honor my father. But it's not the right time for full disclosure and it creates an asymmetry in uh, the relationship when, you know, you're the question's posed because of being different. And and I'm not early in career anymore. And earlier in career it was much easier for me to diffuse these things, to deflect, to really make sure I was catering to the person asking the question. But now it's not really for me. It's because I want better for all of us, a response that I can feel one with that not only reflects my pride and heritage and self-love, but also the recognition that the woman early in career who's being asked that question after me may appreciate if, if I approach it a little more thoughtfully.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. We're going to continue this conversation. Um, Tay, I appreciate you raising it for me and you've given me much to think about. So I think my takeaway is is to put myself in those shoes um, and uh, see how I can be more part of the solution. So I appreciate you, my friend, and you take good care. And uh, thank you for being part of the solution. I am thrilled to introduce my next guest from sunny San Diego, Fred. Fred, welcome to Say It Skillfully. Hey, Molly. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to actually chat with you because we've gone back and forth on LinkedIn for quite some time now, and I've always been very inspired by how you're leading your company and your folks. Um, so share with me, what's on your mind today?
4: Well, I think today it's the same as, as anything else. Our, our, our world's turned upside down in 2020. We're all trying to figure out the, rest, the best way to lead our teams through this. And uh, luckily, we had done some evaluation of our core ideology uh, last year and and looked at what we want. And that happens to work in this crazy time.
1: Well, that's awesome. Will you share with listeners a little bit about your enterprise and uh, maybe how many folks and where they are?
4: Yeah, we're, we, um, we used to be Chanticleer, a public company listed on NASDAQ. Um, we had an, a merger happen in the middle of March, which was a good time for us to get a little bit of cash flow coming in. Uh, and we're going through, we changed our name to Emergent Hospitality Group. We have uh, three different brands that we own and two of which we franchise. Little Big Burger up in Portland, We have American Burger Company in Charlotte and New York, and then we have BGR, which is franchised throughout mostly the eastern United States, and then we also have some Hooters Restaurant franchisees.
1: Wow, that's quite an operation. How many entities do you have, Fred? Well, pre-COVID,
4: we had about 40, and now we have about 32, so plus, plus the franchises, um, so we've we've right sized, and uh, you know we're in we're in survival mode right now, like the rest of the restaurant industry. As we uh, we hope to come out of this sometime soon.
1: That's great. So what's been you know at, at personal level, what's been most challenging for you?
4: I think the the hardest thing, first with COVID, was the thought that I was putting my team members at risk. Um, as we learned about this you know, as, and what it was and who was at risk and who wasn't at risk. We basically told our team, we look, we, we don't, we're not going to make you come to work. Um, we think it's, it's part of the, you know, essential businesses that if restaurants don't open the food, the food chain is in trouble, but we didn't, we didn't want to put anybody at risk or their families at risk. So we, we basically became an all volunteer as people already are, uh, but through COVID uh, a totally volunteer staff, and then as we learned and we tracked this, um, you know, putting the safety procedures in place, both for the guests and the team members uh, was the next big challenge. And then, you know, we have this sort of social unrest happen with the, the horrific incident um, with George Floyd. And then again, we're back to fear and we're back to hate and, and how to deal with that. So, our values are, are love, care, and serve, and, and you know, love over hate is a good way to deal with uh, any crisis.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. What's, uh, so what's been hard? What are the tough conversations that you're having to have or your people are having?
4: Um, well, you know, all within last week, we had a, uh, an, a guest come in and get in a fist fight over not wanting to wear a mask. Um, we've had uh, guns pulled on African-American managers. We've had uh, all kinds of crazy an- anarchy, uh, you know, everywhere. We also had a, a location listed in CHOP up in Seattle inside the CHOP zone. So we've had some very um, tough d- conversations with our team. And again, our our mission is to make people happy. And so we're not choosing sides. We're not a political uh, organization. We are a burger organization, and we feed people burgers, and we make people happy through our food and through our interactions. And so we look at this as an opportunity to take the craziness of the world that's out there and maybe give them one little spark of joy throughout their day. Um, we don't know what they're going through in their own lives, and their own day, and so we look at every opportunity that we come in contact with a guest as an opportunity to share love, to serve people, and to care about them.
1: Well, let's just applaud for that. We need more of that in the world than we can possibly imagine. Fred, how does it go, um, you know, when the team's not, and, and maybe everyone's just completely been in sync the whole time, but I am curious when there have been some disconnects um, or people are having a tough time or not coping, how have you handled that? Um, you know, I can't imagine a gun, a ploy. I mean, like that's heavy duty stuff. So how do you, yep. how do you respond?
4: Well, I personally reach out and talk to each one of the team members. I let them know that the company is here to support them in any way they, they need um, and want. Um, and so, you know, life's a, a series of ups and downs. And, and again, it's we get to choose how we respond to these different things that happen to us. Um, I think that as a leader, you're a part-time, you know, life coach and consultant to people to help them deal with these kind of issues. We've had a lot of dialogue around uh, racism and, and and fairness and equality and making sure that um, we handle this in the right way. And there's been a lot of calls from our team members to get actively involved. And so, you know, we are literally listening and learning at this point to, to choose the right action. And we're being very cautious in how we do that. Um, we see this cancel culture out there on both sides of people just choosing sides. And again, we just approach this from a place of love. And when we love and care, uh, that will come through, especially when people are hurting. Um, And if we can just stay in that path, we can stay in our lane, go back to what are our values? What's the most important? What's the filter and lens in which we see the world? And it it always comes around um, when we we use those tools and we go back to love and serve, it, it helps heal.
1: Well, we know my idol, Alan Mulally, love him up. And I know you've really embraced this with your team. Have you always been such an evolved leader? I can imagine people listening, thinking, God, I want to work for him. And I'm just wondering, your earlier in career, uh, perhaps maybe some of the things you might do differently. How did you learn? How did you get to this? Oh, I,
4: I, I learned by making all the mistakes that everyone oh. has to make on their own, even though you... Even though you hear what the right thing is to do, it's hard to do the right thing. Um, I've had some amazing mentors in my life. Uh, my first life-changing uh, was reading One Minute Manager by by Ken Blanchard back in the 80s and remembering how, how that simplified leadership that seemed so easy. Um, and then probably the most important book I ever read was uh, in, when I was opening up my first restaurant on my own was a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And the power of really sort of fixing myself first so I knew, you know, that value clarification, the first time I ever did that, uh, you know, I was in my 20s and wrote down my value system. That that was an, a great exercise. And my values really haven't changed or evolved too much, but they do evolve over time as you get married and have children and you grow up and life experience. So that self-accountability um, that that idea that I'm in control of my life and um, I have the freedom to choose my response to what happens to me is is really powerful. I'm still working on the skill which you are helping me with, which is which is the empathetic listening. i want to I want to share what's in my head so quickly that i I instantly go to answers in my brain to solve people's problems before I really understand their side of where they're coming from. So that's something, I'm working on. And then Ken Blanchard here in town and Scott Blanchard, his son, we've used their leadership development for probably the last 15 years in all the companies I've been with. And that really helps me evolve. And then you got new leaders that are out there like Simon Sinek and start with why that helped value for clarification. And most recently um, I've, I've you can tell a lot of our values are around some books by John Gordon, who, who wrote a book called the carpenter. And that's where love servant care comes from.
1: That's fantastic. What do you wish for most for your children?
4: Wow. Um, uh, that's a great question. Uh, you know what? I, I wish that, that one, they feel in, is sort of the same enlightenment, I guess I would call it, that I had, that I'm in control of my own life and it's not what happens to me, but that I can do whatever I want. And I guess I would say um, I, I want them to be at peace with who they are. Um, I want them to to love themselves so they have the ability to love others.
1: That is so beautiful, and your kids are very lucky, Fred. Uh, before I let you go, is there any question or anything I might be able to help you with?
4: Well, again. Um, keep doing what you're doing. I, I love your posts. You can tell I I um, I, I, use, I, I try and use them as, as quickly as possible. And uh, whether they're meant for me or someone on my team that needs to hear that message at the time, there's always someone that can use the messages that you're doing. I think it's, it's incredibly, I think that the Say It Skillfully series is incredibly powerful. They're using the meta skills and, and just connecting the dots between what I should be doing and how to do it is really, really powerful.
1: Fantastic. I um, am grateful for your support. Is there any last thing you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, uh, Yes.
4: Everyone gets a pass this year. You know, everyone is having good and bad days and people are frustrated. People are uptight. Be kind. That's my message to the world. Just be, be kind
1: that's fantastic fred i thank you for being who you are for how you show up for what you do um always here for you you know how to reach me and i thank you for being part of the solution thank you molly lastly as you likely know i serve on the board of community solutions committed to creating a lasting end to homelessness that leaves no one behind. I am ecstatic. They are one of six finalists for the $100 million award of the 100 and Change competition sponsored by the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. The award will fund a single proposal for real and measurable progress in solving a critical problem of our time. and will be announced spring 2021. The recognition is testament to the ingenuity, results, and leadership of the existing Built for Zero movement that Community Solutions has created where more than 70 U.S. cities and counties uh, have and continue to prove that it's possible to reduce homelessness by organizing a single team to reach functional zero. Learn more at community.solutions. And my thought for the week, there's greatness within each being, including you. Surround yourself with people who believe in you, especially when you may not, who inspire you to dream big and who love you for who you are, not what you've done, and will keep you honest about the difference. I thank you for tuning in. That's a wrap. Please be part of the solution and kindly share the show. Reflect on your top takeaways. And no, I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. <music>